Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing better than I was on the last episode because nothing traumatic happened to me this week. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I think we got more emails about your dog than maybe anything ever. (laughs) People were like on the edge of their seat and so glad to hear everything was okay. Yeah, it was a scary story. I did. I okay. did sleep because you know what? Everything was fine. So yeah. I just put it out of my head and didn't lose a wink of sleep over it. <laughs> that is really awesome. And I would love to take that part of your brain and insert it into my brain. Because <laughs> I think I even lost sleep over your dog. So <laughs> Oh no. Well, other than no, that, no, how no, was no, your but it's week? one of those Oh, it was great. It was nothing super exciting. Uh my kids were sick last week. They're feeling better this week. Your kids are this sick this week. They'll be feeling better next week. Let's get yes. all the crud out. Let's start summer. Let's do this. The mornings yes. have been beautiful. Weather report time. It has been so nice in the mornings, right? Like I, 60s yeah. in the morning. I don't know what's been going on, but yes, the mornings and the evenings have been a lot cooler. Ugh, um, it's still blazing hot during the daytime already, like over 90 degrees every day and very sunny and bright. Yeah. And hot. But um, yeah, the mornings have been really, really nice. It's been nice to get outside and take a walk in the morning before it does start steaming up. Yeah, I made the mistake of wearing jeans the other day, uh, I think on Sunday, for like 10 minutes. And I got home, I was like, never again. 
Absolutely yeah. <laughs> never again. This is miserable. Yeah. No, thank you. We're getting to the great part of the year where this will be fun. The summer. Yay. Yay. I feel like I'm drink way too much caffeine today. Like I, and yeah. I didn't realize it until this moment. So I yeah. Well, speaking of summer, um, I don't know, oh. probably a lot of our listeners are about to be entering actual summertime, no more school with their kids. I know um, those of us here in Florida only have maybe a week or two left, depending on where yeah. you are in Florida, uh, before we are officially on summer vacation. So that is exciting and wonderful. I'm so happy to spend the whole summer with my kids doing arts and crafts, going oh, outside, having water so balloon fights. Arts. Yeah. You Nobody know, just fights. all those fun things. Yeah, no one ever fights on summer vacation. We always mm-hmm. just have tons of snacks. Nobody eats 17 popsicles in one day, you know, the same day no. that I brought them home. Um, it's and then great. ask where the food is. Yeah. yeah it's, it's amazing. <laughs> I know. My uh, daughter was like, I have a plan for the summer and I'm going to be like jogging in the mornings and then playing guitar in the afternoons and then this and this and I just want to be like must be freaking nice first of all and also like why are you starting in the summer you could do a couple of those right. things <laughs> like, no. why not start now I know but she's is playing guitar and she's like so good and I that's like a brag obviously oh, yeah. but like it's cool like to see a kid pick up an instrument and just teach themselves I don't have yes that no that's really awesome my yeah. uh my oldest son had a phase where he went through that with the guitar and I got him a little guitar and uh-huh. he promptly lost interest and has yeah. never requested to play an instrument again. So <laughs> that's how I was. I would be like super excited and be like, absolutely not. Mm, yeah. No more. No thanks. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this week we have something a little bit different. So Melissa, I think you would say that it's pretty frequent that we get emails from listeners about cases that we've covered in the past. We've been doing this podcast for almost five years now, so we have covered a lot of stories. And we sometimes will get emails from listeners saying, hey, you know, there was an update with this story or something crazy happened with this old case that you guys covered and they'll send us, you know, a news article or something. So we thought, why not do a little update episode on some of the past stories that we've covered on the podcast. And of course, we'll tell you which episodes they were and when we did them. Some of them are from so long ago that I actually had forgotten some of the details about these stories. So um, we're going to do a little update episode, if you will, and go through some of those stories and tell you some updates that we have on them. Sounds great. All right. So we'll get right into it. The first case that we're going to talk about and go kind of go back to is it was an episode that we did called Murder on the Lake back in July of 2018. Um, this was really early in our podcast. Melissa, when did we start the podcast? July of 2017. And by the way, Mandy, I wrote this episode, like one of the few ones that I wrote. And I know that because I wrote it like a telenovela and it's the most (laughs) dramatic. Like I will not go back and read that because I really made it into a soap opera. I want to go and find all the vintage episodes that Melissa wrote because there's only – there's not very many. You Those will are know like when you get to edition. them. <laughs> <laughs> like special edition Moms and Murder episodes uh, written by <laughs> Melissa. <laughs> so this is one of them we're going to revisit today. <laughs> so this story was about a 31-year-old man named Mike Williams who took his boat from Tallahassee, Florida to Lake Seminole to go duck hunting on December 16th, 2000. This was actually the day right before his sixth wedding anniversary, but his wife, Denise, was okay with him going on this hunting trip because they agreed that they would celebrate later that night uh, when they left for their anniversary trip. 
He just needed to be home by about noon so that they would have time to pack and could get on the road on time. But Mike didn't show up at home by noon, and Denise got worried, so she ended up calling her father. Eventually, word of Mike's disappearance made its way to Brian Winchester, which was Mike's best friend that he had known since high school. Brian and his father went to this lake to search for Mike, and since he and Mike were hunting buddies, Brian really knew these locations that Mike liked to hunt in. So they started searching those areas first, and they found Mike's Ford Bronco near a very remote, undeveloped landing that wasn't even suited for launching a boat. So it didn't make a lot of sense why Mike uh, would have his vehicle parked there, because in order to get his boat from, you know, the trailer to the water, he would have to drag the boat through the mud. Um, And no one's obviously going to do that when there are perfectly good boat ramps nearby. And Mike knows the area and knows where the boat ramps are. So his best friend, Brian, called the authorities and the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, um, and they started a search along with the Jackson County Sheriff deputies. So this search was going to start immediately, but it ended up being called off because there was a storm coming in. Thank you, Florida. Um, and so, And yeah. a December storm. I was like, huh, right. what was going on then? Yeah. So when the search finally started, the authorities focused on searching this 10-acre radius that was around where Mike's truck was found. Brian then found Mike's boat. It was just about 225 feet from the ramp that was near his truck. And inside the boat, Mike's shotgun was still inside of its case, and there were no signs of foul play. So the authorities theorized that Mike had this boating accident while he was out on the lake because the area where he was boating was known to have a lot of stumps kind of in the water. And so they thought that this boat may have struck a tree stump and caused the boat to jolt, maybe throwing Mike out of it. He would have been wearing duck hunting waders and they could have been filled with water, causing his body to sink to the bottom of the lake where he would have been weighed down and drowned. The authorities kept searching the lake for Mike's body. They thought if he drowned, his body would most likely float to the surface. There had actually been about 80 known drowning deaths in that lake, and every single body had always been recovered. So the authorities thought this would be nothing different and that they would surely locate Mike if that's what happened. But after searching for 56 days and never finding Mike, they had to change their theory, you know, on what could have happened to him. Now they went with this theory that maybe his body had been eaten by alligators, and that's why they couldn't find him. Denise, his wife, immediately accepted that this theory was the truth, and she scheduled a memorial service, and they had it the day after the search ended. That's wild to me because so... Typically, I don't even know what the typical time is for a funeral anymore, but whenever I've seen um, these stories where somebody's been missing or it's been several years or I remember a girl I was in high school with was in a coma and then she passed away, the memorial service tended to be like a ways out because they had the time in a way. I I don't, I shouldn't say because they had the time. It's a different set of circumstances. And so- they they can spend the time if they want to to make this really special you know special service so to hear that literally she gets the news and has it the next day is just wild yeah it is pretty crazy and and i feel like the only time you really ever do see that is when it's like a suspicious situation where the person just wants to kind of get it all over with and get it behind them, you know, and get it out of everybody else's minds as well. So yeah, and people have different reasons for doing different things. But this one specifically to be 60 days out, really two months out and be like, actually, we're doing it tomorrow. It just right. doesn't give the family any time 
that they could have had, you know, to plan or to mourn really before the service starts. Right. Then on June 22nd, 2000, which was about six months after Mike disappeared, his waders were actually found in the lake along with his jacket and his hunting license. A week later, Denise actually had her husband declared legally dead, and the official cause of death was accidental drowning. This meant that she could now claim Mike's life insurance money, which totaled $1.75 million. Five years later, Denise married Mike's best friend, Brian. So Mike's mom, Cheryl, felt sure that there was way more to her son's disappearance, and she never for a second believed that Mike drowned as a result of this boating accident. Cheryl was actually, um, if I remember correctly, she like owned a daycare in Tallahassee, um, and she's this cute little lady with blonde uh pigtails and so like i remember seeing her on dateline and different shows and obviously this was a big story in tallahassee and she was always fighting to get answers about her son like she just never ever could accept this and so she continued to pressure the police to investigate further and in 2017 she finally got some answers after authorities recovered mike's body so mike's best friend brian as mandy had mentioned before was arrested for kidnapping his new wife, Denise, in August of 2016. If I remember correctly, that was like in a Walgreens parking lot. It was something wild that they were like kind of separated and fighting. And he literally basically kidnaps her in this parking lot until police come. And so when this happens, the police look at this as an opportunity to help solve Mike's case. And so the state offers Brian this deal. They say, tell us what happened to Mike and we will give you immunity. And you can also have a shorter sentence for kidnapping Denise. And so murder by itself is going to be a huge charge, not just a huge charge, but a huge amount of time in jail, as well as kidnapping. So this is a really great deal for him, really. And so Brian takes this deal and he tells investigators that he and Mike's wife, Denise, when she was married to Mike, started having this affair in 1997. And so in March of 2000, Denise tells Brian, the best friend, that she wanted Mike dead And she felt like she couldn't divorce him because it would look really badly. And she was someone who really cared about appearances. And so her option was, Mike has to die. If we want to be together, you have to kill Mike. So after going through a few possible ways to kill Mike, they settled on making this look like it was an accident. They decided that Mike and Brian would go hunting. Brian would kill Mike, making it look like an accident. And then Brian would divorce his wife wife Kathy and he and Denise could officially be together. This is so much for this is too much. This is too much yeah. for love. I would do anything for love. But I won't do this. But I in won't the do name this. Meatloaf. <laughs> RIP. But even one of the options originally was to kill Kathy, not to divorce her. So this went through several I guess, changes and options until they decided Mike had to die for them to be together, which is, oh my goodness. So on the morning of December 16th, 2000, Brian and Mike go to Lake Seminole. And so Brian talks Mike into putting on his waders before they actually got into the boat instead of waiting until they're out there ready to hunt. So Brian said that he was going to drive the boat to this secret hunting spot that he knew about. And so as they're driving across the lake, Brian pushes Mike into the water in hopes that these waders would fill with water and he would drown. And so Mike is in the water, he's flailing around, but he manages to take off his jacket and waders to stop weighing himself down. 
and that's when he makes his way to a tree stump and holds on. This is so heartbreaking because you know at this point he knows, oh my gosh, my best friend is doing this to me. me. Why is my best friend trying to kill me? So since this drowning plan doesn't work, Brian ends up shooting Mike in the head. But in doing this, he realizes that Mike's death will no longer look like an accident. This won't look like an accidental drowning. It's obvious that he's been shot. So now Brian has to do something with Mike's body. So Brian drags him to shore and he backs his truck, Brian's truck to the shoreline, puts Mike's body in a dog crate in his vehicle and pushes the boat back out on the lake. If I remember correctly, as he's driving this truck, he's like throwing stuff out the window as well. So later, Brian buys a tarp and a shovel and drives to a place along Car Lake that he'd been hunting at before. And that's where Brian buries Mike's body. Then he cleans out his truck, heads back home, and later on goes to a Christmas party. So he and Denise made the decision to not really talk to each other for a while because obviously this is going to look suspicious if they all of a sudden, you know, her husband's dead and now they're together. So they hid their relationship until they felt like it was safe to come out. And things were fine for a while. But they eventually grew paranoid that investigators were figuring out what was going on. They even, I don't remember if we even discussed this then, but they would even like talk in parks and stuff, places where they didn't think people could hear them, you know, converse. Like they wouldn't talk in their house about it. They had like a secret word, if I remember correctly, and they would like go somewhere else to talk about it because they were both convinced at one point that the other one was going to rat them out, which... They were just really playing the long game with this. But living a life like this is just does not seem like a life. I mean, this just seems absolutely miserable. Besides the fact that now you've killed your best friend slash husband, you know, for this. So the day after Brian actually was sentenced for kidnapping Denise, which was back in 2017, investigators announced that they've located Mike's remains. So for updates on this case, we have a few. The investigators actually build their case against Denise. On May 8th, 2018, Denise was finally arrested and charged with being a principal to first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. On December 11th, 2018, opening statements for her trial began. The prosecution told the jury, quote, Denise likes the sound of being a widow much more than being a divorcee. Obviously, you can't be caught with a murder, so they had to make it look like an accident, end quote. Brian was the prosecution's star witness, and he testified about how he had killed Mike. During his testimony was the first time that Cheryl actually heard what happened to her son. Throughout Brian's testimony, Denise sat emotionless while she listened to these brutal details about how her husband was murdered. Later on, during the closing statements, the prosecution said, quote, everybody in this entire room was moved by the sheer horror of that situation, except for one person. That one person sat here, absolute stone-faced, didn't bat an eye, didn't shed a tear. That lady right there, Miss Denise Williams, is guilty, end quote. The defense told the jury that Denise was completely innocent and she had no idea that, you know, her lover, Brian, was planning the murder or that he had actually committed it. There was no physical evidence that tied Denise to the crime and she never confessed to anything about killing Mike. The only person that was tying her to the murder was Brian, and he was the real killer, and he was able to strike a deal with the state. The defense told the jury, quote, he testified as he pleased about this without any fear that the state will be able to use that testimony against him. 
Brian has a motive to lie to you. He has a motive to make up this accusation against Denise. He didn't mention anything about her alleged participation in this murder until he realized he was facing a life sentence in this kidnapping and after he realized Denise was going to go into court and ask for a life sentence for the kidnapping charge. So the defense said that Brian was seeking revenge against Denise. When they um, came time to do the cross-examination, Brian actually admitted to being a liar and a murderer. He had received immunity for his confession, but he didn't lie because, quote, it was made explicitly clear to me by the five attorneys that I had helping me on my case that if I decided to go forth and give a proffer and give information about the Mike Williams case, that I absolutely positively needed to tell the truth, end quote. So on December the 14th, two days shy of the 18th anniversary of Mm -hmm. Mike's murder, the jury found Denise guilty on all charges after they deliberated for eight hours. Cheryl's hard work had finally paid off, and her son now had justice. The defense had been so confident that they would get an acquittal that they didn't want the jury to consider any lesser charges. Feels like that's what happened with the Casey Anthony case. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So two months later, Denise's sentencing hearing was held. Cheryl, which was, again, Mike's mom, read a statement about her granddaughter, who she hadn't seen since she was just five years old. Cheryl told the judge, quote, not only did Denise murder my son, she stole my granddaughter from me. For her entire life, Ainsley was raised in a house with the murderers of her father while being denied the love of her father's family. She was told that Grandma Cheryl was crazy and would hurt her. I don't know if I'll ever have Ansley in my life again because of the damage her mother has done, end quote. But Cheryl continued, quote, Judge, I am asking you to lock Denise up for the rest of her life with no chance of parole. She has already lived 18 years longer than my son. She got to watch Mike's daughter grow up. I didn't. Please don't allow Denise to ever be around any of her future grandchildren because one generation of William's children growing up around murderers is enough, end quote. Cheryl also told the judge, quote, For the rest of my life, when I try to sleep at night, I picture my son clinging to a tree stump in Lake Seminole in the dark, knowing that his best friend is trying to kill him. I hear his voice screaming for help. I wasn't there to help him. It will haunt me forever. End quote. Mm, That's so heartbreaking. It is. Denise was sentenced to life in prison for murder and 30 years for conspiracy. So another update in this is that Denise actually appealed her conviction and life sentence. And in November of 2020, the Florida First District Court of Appeals overturned her murder conviction and life sentence on the grounds that she wasn't a principal participant to first degree murder. And in doing this, they're saying there was no evidence that Denise was physically present at the scene of the murder or any place nearby or that she actually counseled or hired Brian to murder Mike. For those reasons, she wasn't considered a principal participant in Mike's murder. However, the court agreed there was enough evidence to uphold Denise's conspiracy conviction and the 30-year sentence. I think that makes sense, even them saying that she wasn't a principal participant in this. Yeah. Because she wasn't there. You know, there wasn't any proof that she actually told him, but I think the conspiracy conviction does make a lot of sense. But the state appealed the court's decision but their motion was ultimately denied. So today, Brian is incarcerated at the Madison Correctional Institution in Madison, Florida, and his current release date is July 30th, 2036. Denise is incarcerated in the Florida Women's Reception Center in Ocala, Florida. Her release date is April 25th, 2047. And we still have several more stories to get into after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. 
Our babies are growing up, and although they are no longer in diapers, we both can remember those days, like those nights when you think your baby just might sleep through the night only to be awakened due to their leaky diaper. But thanks to Coterie, moms today can rest easy knowing that their babies can sleep well thanks to Coterie's ability to hold two times more liquid capacity as well as four times faster with their moisture wicking abilities compared to other brands. This means that your baby is happy and comfortable and you just might get a full night's sleep without interruptions, which is basically parental bliss. A happy baby is a dry baby, and thanks to amazing features like Coterie using clothing-grade material, your baby's diapers literally have a cashmere-like feel, so they stay comfortable for longer days and nights. Not only has Coterie been awarded Best Diapers and Wipes by both The Bump and Parents.com, but they are dermatologist-tested and only use the cleanest ingredients. When I gave my sister-in-law a box for her to try on my niece, Lila, she said that she had less issues with diaper rash since they've been using them. Right now, Coterie is partnering with our podcast to offer you 20% off your first order, plus free shipping at Coterie.com slash momsandmurder. That's Coterie, spelled C-O-T-E-R-I-E dot com slash momsandmurder for 20% off and free shipping. Coterie.com slash momsandmurder. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. I'm a worst-case scenario type of gal. Just in the last few weeks, we've both been talking about worst-case scenarios a lot on the podcast. But no matter what fun or exciting thing is being planned, my brain will literally drain all the fun out of it and remind me of all the things that can go wrong. And this has really been my way of life for as long as I can remember. And it can be exhausting. And that's not even counting the regular life stuff that's actually happening that's stressing me out. And all of this is why I'm so glad to have my BetterHelp counselor to talk through all those big things and those small things that can feel big. BetterHelp is a great way to take care of yourself. Sometimes life can be overwhelming or hard to navigate. I find that being able to talk to my BetterHelp counselor is invaluable. Whether I'm making a big life decision or just needing to vent and get some perspective, my BetterHelp counselor is there to help me through it all. And BetterHelp is counseling done on your time. BetterHelp helps you connect to a counselor that you can talk to without ever having to leave the house. What I really like is that you can choose video, text, or calls so you can communicate in whatever way feels best for you. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Moms and Murder listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com moms. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot moms. And now back to the episode. All right. So before the break, we just recapped one of our previous episodes and gave you a few updates on it. And now we have another episode that has some updates on it. Uh, So this episode was – this was back when we titled the episodes a title instead of using names. Remember in the beginning we used names and then we switched to making up titles and then we switched back to just using names? Yeah, we absolutely realized we did not have enough creative titles and that Dateline <laughs> could do it better. So it didn't yes. make sense for us to try it anymore. Yes, but back in November 2019, we were still making up cute little names. Uh, this one isn't that cute, but this was an episode titled Murder and the NBA Star. So this was an episode about an NBA player named Lorenzen Wright. Um, He had played for the NBA for 13 seasons, which was almost triple the number of average seasons. He had spent his time with different teams, including the Grizzlies in Memphis, where he was considered a hometown hero. In February of 2010, Lorenzen and his wife, Shara, got divorced. 
After finishing his 13th and final NBA season, Lorenzen moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and Shara stayed in Memphis with their six children. On July the 18th, Lorenzen flew to Memphis to see his family. At about 10 p.m., a friend dropped him off at Shara's place. Lorenzen had planned to head back to Atlanta the next day, but when his friend came to pick him up the next morning to take him to the airport, Shara said that Lorenzen wasn't there. On July the 22nd, after three days of no contact, Lorenzen's mom became suspicious, and she actually reported him missing. On July 27th, a Germantown, Tennessee dispatcher told their supervisor about this call that they had received eight days earlier at 12.12 a.m. on July the 19th. They didn't know it at the time, but this call was actually from Lorenzen. The dispatcher could hear that Lorenzen was being shot at by multiple guns, but then the call ended promptly and the dispatcher couldn't trace the location of the call because it wasn't within their jurisdiction. Wild. Can we figure that out? That yeah. somebody can be shot is and that you can a thing? listen to it and still be like, I can't get can't those. Can't do anything. Yeah. yeah that's, that's terrifying. A terrifying situation. So the dispatcher hadn't thought much of the call until Lorenzen was reported missing. On July 28th, detectives used cell phone pings from the 911 call to find Lorenzen's body in a secluded field near a golf course. He'd been shot at least five times with two different guns. At this time, his body was so decomposed due to being out in the hot weather that his remains weighed just 57 pounds, which was nearly 200 wow. pounds less than when he was alive. So that's how far decomposed he was when they found him. Authorities investigated Lorenzen's murder, but they didn't find enough evidence to make any arrests. The case went cold until 2016 when Shara's cousin, Jimmy Martin, told them that he had information about Lorenzen's death. In exchange for immunity, Jimmy told them that he met with Shara and a different man named Billy Ray Turner who owned a landscaping business, and he did some work for Shara. He also attended the same church as Shara and... They were having a sexual relationship at the time of Lorenzen's murder. So Shara actually told her cousin that she and Billy Ray needed to kill Lorenzen because if they hadn't, then he was going to kill her first. Plus, with Lorenzen's death, she got access to his $1 million life insurance. So Jimmy Martin and Billy Ray Turner didn't want to be involved in this murder plot, but they also didn't want to rock the boat. Before they really even kind of figured out what was going on, Shara asked them to drive to Atlanta and kill Lorenzen. So they went reluctantly, but when they got there, they found out that Lorenzen actually wasn't home. So these guys felt really relieved because, you know, they really didn't want any part in this anyway. So they just turned around and left. But on July 18th, the night that Lorenzen was murdered, Jimmy Martin was at home in Batesville. He tried to call Billy Ray Turner, but couldn't get through. He couldn't get a hold of Shara that night either. A few days later, Shara just showed up at Jimmy's place and said that she needed his help finding something in Memphis. On the drive to Memphis, Shara started talking about how this plan to kill Lorenzen had, quote, gone through, and she had lured him to the field by asking if he would go with her um, to make sure that nothing happened while she met up with somebody that owed her some money. Just after midnight, Lorenzen and Shara arrived at this field under this guise that, you know, Shara is picking up money. And the man that she was getting this money from was there, but it was actually Billy Ray Turner. And that's when he and Shara ambushed Lorenzen. 
Jimmy later testified that Shara told him a lot of different things about murdering Lorenzen, but the thing that stood out the most to him was that she said that when he had his back to them, they started chasing and firing at him, and that Lorenzen jumped over the fence, quote, like a deer, but he fell, and that allowed them to catch up to him, and so they both fired shots into Lorenzen, killing him. At a later time, Turner asked Martin to help him get rid of one of the guns. Martin agreed, and Turner threw the gun in a Mississippi lake, and the two men then went their separate ways. On June 27, 2017, an FBI dive team went into the lake and were able to locate the gun. It was a semi-automatic 9mm Smith & Weston pistol. Ballistics were able to match it to some of the shell casings found near Lorenzen's body. Authorities had officially located one of the murder weapons. On December 5, 2017, 46-year-old Billy Ray Turner was arrested. At the station, Billy Ray told the investigators that while he did have an intimate relationship with Shara, he played no part in Lorenzen's murder. When asked about this trip to Atlanta, where he and Jimmy were supposed to kill Lorenzen, Billy Ray said he didn't go there with Jimmy. He went alone to visit family members, but he really couldn't remember their names, which is always <laughs> a great sign when you go visit family members out of town and you don't bother to learn their names, you are not going to get invited to Sunday dinner. (laughs) So they really were getting nowhere with Billy Ray. So investigators showed him a picture of the murder weapon that they had pulled from the lake. And that's when he started acting nervous. And soon after, the interview ends. So Billy Ray Turner was charged with first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, and attempted first-degree murder was later added. On December 15th, 46-year-old Cheryl was arrested in California. She was charged with first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, and attempted first-degree murder. So after Shara and Billy Ray were arrested, investigators started going through their phones, and they found a lot of evidence of their guilt. There were internet searches and texts, cell phone pings, you name it, they had it, and it further really corroborated Jimmy's statement. So in the first year and a half of being in jail, Shara received 51 write-ups. Many of them were for this really extreme behavior. And the theory kind of goes that she was trying to go for an insanity plea. So she was acting, quote unquote, crazy while she was in jail. And so here's one of the more wild infractions that she was written up for. On May 29th, during the security check, officers find that Shara has flooded her cell. So they go to turn off the water, but it doesn't stop her. She gets naked and starts pushing the water out into the day room and yelling, I'm going swimming. I'm going swimming, y'all. Hold on. I'm assuming this was toilet water. (laughs) Like, where else would the water come from? (laughs) Oh. (laughs) What is happening here? I just have, like, this mental image of the toilet overflowing and her, like, getting on the ground and, like, rolling around in it. They're not going to be able to do any toilet talking whenever she goes around (laughs) flooding the cell oh my gosh but man i to get me naked in the middle of all those people (laughs) like things have taken a turn for sure so she ends up being found competent though to stand trial and wouldn't you know it all of her little infractions started slowing down once they were like hey you're not crazy yeah you just don't want to be here And so on July 25th, 2019, Shara pleaded guilty to facilitated first-degree murder and facilitated attempted first-degree murder. By taking this deal with the prosecution, she avoided a possible life sentence. And so she ended up being sentenced instead to 30 years. Meanwhile, she still claimed that she was innocent of the entire thing. 
All right. So we have some updates on that case. On March the 14th, 2022, so that was just a little bit ago, wow, yeah. Jury, yeah, jury selection actually began for Billy Ray Turner's trial, and it took place in Shelby County Criminal Court. By the end of the first day, the sequestered jury had been selected, including alternate jurors. There were eight women and seven men selected for the jury. The prosecution said that Lorenzen was killed because of greed and jealousy. They said that Shara recruited Turner, who was her romantic secret interest, and her cousin Jimmy Martin to help pull off this murder. So after Jimmy Martin and Billy Ray Turner's first attempt to kill Lorenzen in Atlanta was a fail, Shara then lured Lorenzen to the field in Memphis where she and Turner shot and killed him. The defense said that Billy Ray was innocent and that the real killers were Shara and her cousin Jimmy. Jimmy wasn't a credible witness. He had made a deal so that he wouldn't get in trouble. And so, you know, what does he have to lose by lying? On March the 21st, after deliberating for around two hours, the jury found that Billy Ray Turner was guilty on all charges. He was immediately sentenced to life for first-degree murder. For the other two charges, which were conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and attempted first-degree murder, he faces additional life sentences. Uh, those are actually scheduled to be sentenced this month in May of 2022. For the other two charges, which were conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and attempted first-degree murder, he faces additional life sentences, and he's actually scheduled to be sentenced for those this month sometime in May of 2022. As of this recording, Turner's current location hasn't been updated on the Tennessee Department of Corrections website, but Shara is currently incarcerated in the Deborah K. Johnson Rehabilitation Center, which is a minimum restricted prison. According to the Tennessee Department of Corrections, Shara was supposed to have her first uh, parole hearing on May 11th, 2022, which was yesterday from when we're recording. Uh, so we don't really know if she did that or not. But if she is never paroled, she will be released on July 10th, 2046, when she is 75 years old. Wow. It's crazy to think that some of the, it's crazy to think that some of these cases that we covered, you know, and people have been in prison, like that they're up for parole right now already. Yeah, I'd rather not think of that in some of these cases, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. So the next story we're going to talk about is one of our very first ones, literally within the first month. I think it was in the first five episodes we did, right? The I think so, Todd yeah. Kohlhepp. Yeah, I think yeah. it was episode number four. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. four or five, something like that. I know it's very, very early on. On August 31st, 2016, 31-year-old Kayla Brown and her 32-year-old boyfriend named Charles Carver go missing. On November 3rd, a little more than two months later, Kayla is rescued from this shipping container that's located on a 95-acre property in Woodruff, South Carolina. Police go there to investigate this tip about a sex crime. Kayla tells the officers that she and her boyfriend had been hired by the landowner, who was a 45-year-old realtor named Todd Kolhep, to clear brush from his land. But instead, Todd shoots and kills her boyfriend, Charles, right in front of her. Then he buries his body in a shallow grave on his property. Then he chains her by the neck inside the shipping container and repeatedly raped her over the next two months until her rescue. This is one of the most horrific stories I feel like 
ever in the true crime world. This story just gets me because it's like one of my biggest – I feel like being held captive is another fear that I have. Like, you know, just I don't want to be held against my will somewhere with somebody doing terrible things to me. I, don't, I mean, no one does, but that's like so I, I like how you worded that and then you were like, oh, I guess <laughs> – I guess that could be a pretty universal one. Yeah, that that uh, that sounds truly terrifying. And it's one of the darker stories we've covered for sure. Definitely. Um, yeah. And do you remember, did you ever see the video of her, like when the police get there and yes. start talking to her? That is haunting. Just, yes. I cannot imagine it. I can't imagine being the police officers, can't imagine being her. It's It's a lot. I don't recommend to watch it, but if you've seen it, you definitely know what we're talking about. So while Todd is holding her uh, captive, he tells her about the like these other murders he committed. So in December of 2015, he shoots and kills Johnny Coxey and Megan McCraw Coxey, and the two of them had also been hired to work on his property. Around December 19th, Todd kills Johnny, and then he killed Megan on December 26th after holding her captive around a week. And so after he killed them both, he buried their bodies also on his property. He also shot and killed four people in November of 2003 inside Superbike Motorsports Motorcycle Shop near Chesney, South Carolina, after the manager made him mad. And that was a wild one because remember they were trying to connect him like they just had no idea those two things went together and then were able yes. to piece it together because it's it's a different MO than he had had in the other ones. And so the victims there were the owner, Scott Ponder, Beverly Guy, who was Scott's mother and the bookkeeper, the service manager named Brian Lucas, and the mechanic, Chris Sherbert. So Todd is arrested on November 3rd and charged with kidnapping, although later several more charges were added. So he'd previously served 14 years for kidnapping in Arizona. When he was 15 years old, he kidnapped a 14-year-old girl, forced her into his home at gunpoint, and then raped her. So when he gets out of prison, he moves out of state and becomes a successful realtor. Because Todd was a convicted felon, he couldn't legally purchase weapons. So he asked this guy named Dustin Lawson to buy them for him. So Dustin agrees, even though he knows Todd's a felon and couldn't own these guns. And in total, he purchases at least 12 guns and five silencers for Todd, which is is wild because he's not buying one gun for right. self-defense or home defense. He's buying 12 with silencers. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot different. And so after Todd was arrested, investigators went and found reviews that Todd had left on Amazon. I remember we talked about this at length because, wow. Yeah. So on a review for a padlock, he wrote, quote, solid locks, have five on a shipping container, won't stop them, but sure will slow them down till they are too old to care, end quote. And on a review for a folding shovel, he said, quote, keep in car for when you have to hide the bodies and you left the full-size shovel at home, end quote. Wow. But the wild thing is you see people writing these like crazy things on reviews. All the and time. Like, right? Yeah. Like rarely is there a serious one. And to think that some of these could be a serial killer is like literally a confession written as an Amazon review. That's the craziest thing I've ever seen. A confession as an Amazon review. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> it. So in May of 2017, Todd pleaded guilty to all seven murders as part of a plea deal. He was sentenced to seven consecutive life terms with no chance of parole, plus 60 years on kidnapping, sexual assault, and other charges. Todd's attorney, Shane Gorenson, told the judge that there are no other victims connected with his client. Quote, Mr. Kolhep has come clean, he said. All right, so... 
we released this episode about Todd Kolhoff, as we said, early in the podcast. It was in August of 2017. And then uh, several months later, at the end of 2017, there were some updates. So we're going to talk about them now. So in December of 2017, Todd Kolhoff wrote an eight-page letter to the Spartanburg Herald-Journal claiming that he actually had more victims who had not yet been discovered. I think you and I actually talked about that on the podcast, about how this guy, with you know, they just kept finding remains on his property. And so we yeah. even said that no telling how many victims he actually had. Like he was definitely a serial killer. We have no clue how many people he could have possibly murdered. So later on, you know, after he's arrested a few months later, now he's claiming that he did have more victims who had not been discovered. In or around 2003, he said that he buried them near Interstate 26 in Spartanburg County in the northwest part of the state, and he wrote that he had tried to tell investigators about this, but they blew him off. In May of 2018, the man who had supplied Todd with many firearms and silencers, Dustin Lawson, pleaded guilty to 36 federal gun charges, 13 counts of making a false statement to purchase a gun, 13 counts of transferring a firearm to a felon, five counts of transferring a silencer device to a person not allowed to have one, and five counts of making a false statement to obtain a silencer. For those crimes, Dustin was sentenced to 87 months in federal prison. So August of 2018 was actually a very big month for this case. The authorities searched the location that Todd had written about to the Spartanburg Herald-Journal, but they'd never found anything. Sheriff Chuck Wright told the media that he really wasn't sure they would find anything because they hadn't been able to even corroborate a lot of the things that Todd was telling them. Wright said, quote, this will be the last time this happens until he gives me something specific that I can corroborate. I don't want this to be something where he wants to stay relevant, end quote. So I see what they're saying there. Basically, like, you can't just keep sending us on these wild goose chases, you know, without yeah. some kind of proof that you actually have something there, you know, or that we're going to find something there because this is, you know, they're not going to waste, keep wasting their time. And you see this sometimes where they're like, well, bring me out and I'll show you where the bodies are. And they bring them out and there's no bodies, but now they've had a day out. The police have like been so Wasted nice to them. resources, right. Exactly. And they're trying to, yeah, they're like pulling one over on the cops. So I totally get why they would be like, okay, show us something and right. we'll do it. But otherwise we don't want to hear from you. Yeah. Many people, however, believe that there are other victims, but as of this recording, there have not been any other victims identified. A short sale auction was held on Todd's property. All the proceeds went to the victims. They were selling more than 550 of Todd's belongings, including tools, books, artwork, and a gun safe. And they also sold his real estate signs, many of which went for more than $100 each. Who would want that? <laughs> Why would you want that? So people actually were lining up to get a look at this property, you know, and the belongings that were once owned by this serial killer. Some people wanted to buy items only to support the victims, and others were true crime fans who just wanted to sell the items online, which I guess is the name of the game in the world we live in, I don't know. That's also crazy to me. Yeah. But I appreciate the people. I can see buying them and burning them. So, like, if you yes. know the money is going to – actually, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Getting rid of those things so people can't turn around and sell right. them. Because if they're just out there, people are going to do whatever with them. And if it goes to the victims, then that's great. For sure. All right. And we have one more story to update you guys on after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors.
If you're like me, you sort of thought that all olive oils were alike. And boy, was I wrong. I just tried Brightland's Alive Olive Oil and my mind was quickly changed. And now I know that there are Brightland olive oils and then there are the other guys. Brightland has a duo of extra virgin olive oils that will absolutely take your meals to the next level. This dynamic duo is known as Awake and Alive and you just need to be awake and alive to see what it can do for your next meal. Like Melissa said, Brightland is different because they only use the freshest, healthiest olive oils and vinegars that are made from the freshest local harvests that are grown without pesticides in California. Unlike other olive oils, Brightland's olive oils are not damaged by exposure to heat, light, or air, or even made with fillers. Their olives are harvested early in the season and pressed within 90 minutes of harvest, so they have the highest quality of oil possible, and most importantly, they have the best flavor. Brightland Awake Olive Oil has a robust flavor, and it pairs perfectly with breads and in hearty soups. And Alive is the smoother olive oil of the two, and it's perfect for roasting or sauteing vegetables, which I love to do, or putting on salads. I have vegetables with almost every meal, so having them taste this amazing feels like a crime. Go to brightland.co slash murder to try the duo and give your cooking some added flair and flavor. That's B-R-I-G-H-T-L-A-N-D dot C-O slash murder to save 10% on your order of the duo. Thanks, Brightland, for sponsoring this podcast. If you want to be like Becky with the good hair, you need to check out Function of Beauty. Function of Beauty is all about hair goals and customization. During the summer, we spend so much time outside sweating and swimming, and I use a lot of styling products on my already colored hair. I need a clarifying shampoo for the pool as well as a conditioner specifically for color-treated hair, and I can't forget the heat I put on my baby-thin Precious Moments hair, so I'm going to need a thermal protecting shampoo and volumizing shampoo for good measure. But what if I could have all of those things in one personalized shampoo and conditioner? Thanks to Function of Beauty, I now can. Function of Beauty is not just the first ever custom hair brand, but with 54 trillion possible formulations, you can find the perfect one just for you. If you aren't familiar with Function of Beauty, here's what I did. I took a quick and thorough quiz and answered questions about everything from whether my hair was oily or dry, curly or straight, and what my specific needs are with my hair. Next, the Function of Beauty team reviewed these answers and determined the right blend of ingredients and then bottled my custom formula to order. Lastly, Function of Beauty delivered the personalized formula right to my door in a cute bottle that even had my favorite color and fragrance, with my name on it. I chose their pear scent, but there are other fragrances that I can't wait to try. And if fragrance isn't for you, they also offer their products fragrance and dye-free. Say goodbye to generic hair care for good today. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash moms to take your hair goals quiz and you'll save 25% on your first order. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash moms to let them know you heard about it from our show and to get 25% off your first order. That's functionofbeauty.com slash moms to take your hair quiz and save 25% on your first order. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery 
delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. And now back to the episode. Okay, before the break, we, well, we've discussed now three different stories uh, from the past five years, which is still blowing my mind that we're coming up on five years here, Mandy. Crazy. Yeah, and we are going to end it with one of the biggest stories I think we talked about when when this story came out they were still putting the pieces together and there was a lot of suspicion but it's come a long way like we've just learned so much more about it I think this was one of the cases that we joked about that you needed your like journal out so you could take notes about everything that was going on because there was so many people involved in this story um tons of names an entire family you know so it was it was just a Two lot families. to follow. Yeah. But um, this, it was a lot to follow. So I will let you get into summarizing it for us, Melissa. I would be more than happy to do that. So this was called the Roden Family Murders, and we discussed this on July 30th, 2019. So on April 22nd, 2016, eight members of the Roden family were found dead in four separate homes located near Pebbles, Ohio. So two of the homes are on the same property, and a third is a mile away, and the fourth is eight more miles away, and everyone that had been shot had been shot execution style. And I'm going to go over the list of really the victims of who all was involved in this. So at the home of Chris Roden Sr. was Chris Roden. He was the only person awake whenever he was shot. They found that he did have defensive wounds. All all seven other people were asleep. The other person at his home was Gary Roden, who was Chris Sr.'s cousin. So the next home is the home of Dana Roden, which is Chris Sr.'s ex-wife. Also in her home is Hannah Mae Roden, Dana and Chris Sr.'s daughter. So Hannah, at the time, had had a baby four days earlier. And thankfully, the baby was left unharmed, though she was found in bed with her dead mother. Also at this home were Chris Roden Jr., who was Dana and Chris Sr.'s youngest son. So it's Chris at one house, his ex-wife, and two of their kids, as well as a brand new baby at the next house. So the, the next home at the home of Frankie Roden, who is Dana and Chris Sr.'s oldest son, is Hannah Hazel Gilly, which is Frankie's fiance. Uh, Frankie's four-year-old son and Frankie and Hannah's six-month-old son were unharmed. So all the kids in the story, the babies, 
were all left unharmed, which is just a miracle. Both the kids had been in bed with their parents during the murders. So just the most horrifying thing you can even think of to have these kids right there when this is happening. And lastly, there's the home of Kenneth Roden, who is Chris Sr.'s brother. Based on the crime scene, investigators knew that this was not a murder-suicide. There had to be at least two people involved in these murders. And there were no signs of forced entry or signs that Dana's dogs had tried to attack an intruder. And this really made the investigators believe very early on that the killers most likely knew the Roden family and that this was a really a targeted hit. The killers even took time to clean up after themselves after they had murdered all eight of these people. So in the spring of 2017, investigators searched the Wagner's family property. The members of the Wagner family were Billy and Angela and their two sons, George and Jake. The Wagner's and the Rodens knew each other. Jake was Hannah's ex-boyfriend and the father of one of her children. They started dating when she was 13 years old and he was 18, and then she got pregnant at 15. Their relationship eventually ended, and Hannah later started dating another man who she got pregnant with. She then gave birth to that child four days before this massacre. The baby that Hannah shared with Jake was not in the house during the shooting. She was actually with some members of the Wagner family. Following the search, Jake wrote to the Inquirer, quote, Please, let's concentrate on finding the real monsters who did this, end quote. Angela told the media that her family was being slandered. The Wagner family then sold their family farm and moved to Alaska. Jake and Hannah's daughter went along with them. In June of 2017, the Ohio Attorney General and Pike County Sheriff started asking the public for information on the Wagner family. They weren't named as suspects publicly just yet, um, but the investigators really had them on their radar. They traveled to Alaska to interview the family, and then, for some reason, the family actually moved back to Ohio in 2018. That's what I don't get. Like, they were so far removed from all of this and the suspicion and having this whole different life, and they were like, you know what we should do? Let's let's get the eyes back on us. Let's go back. Yeah. Well, in November of 2018, the authorities finally caught up with them, and they announced that they had arrested Billy and Angela Wagner and their two sons, George and Jake, for the Roden family murders. Evidence found in a well on the Wagner property is what led to these arrests. Authorities had also secretly recorded conversations between family members. According to News Watchmen, quote, these wiretaps included conversations between George Wagner, the fourth, and Jake Wagner, who believed they were being listened to and tried to uh, mislead those listening, end quote. So for just a few updates, in April 2021, Jake pleaded guilty to eight counts of aggravated murder, four counts of aggravated burglary, felony conspiracy, and multiple other counts. Although he did plead guilty to all eight of the murders, he said that he only killed five people and shot a sixth. According to the prosecution, the Wagners were a, quote, clannish family who did everything together. Jake was controlling and abusive towards Hannah Roden. After they broke up and she got pregnant with another man's baby, Jake started pressuring her over their daughter's custody because he wanted full custody since he thought that Hannah was, you know, exposing their daughter to people that he didn't want her around. Hannah didn't want to give up custody, so Jake threatened to kill her and asked people to spy on her, and many more things. 
At one point, the Wagner family drew up papers for Hannah to sign that were for Jake to have custody of their daughter. In December of 2015, Hannah wrote in one of her Facebook messages to one of her friends, quote, I'll never sign papers ever. They will have to kill me first, end quote. Jake found these messages after he hacked into her Facebook account. Not long after Hannah had sent that message, the Wagner family took a vote on if they should murder the Roden family or not. They took a vote. They took a vote. Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard? I I mean, (laughs) I, yeah, no, I don't get it. I can't imagine. sit around with your mom and dad and your sibling and you're like, should we kill this entire family, these eight people? That is wild to me. Well, and the fact that they had to have gotten more yeses than noes because they went through with it. They took a vote. Yeah. According to WCPO, the family purchased a cell phone jammer and they bought shoes that would later be traced back to the crime scene footprints. And they also crafted homemade silencers to attack their sleeping victims without alerting the others. They also studied the family's habits and the layout of their homes. And they forged custody documents stating that Hannah Roden had agreed that her daughter would pass into Jake's custody if she died. If Jake died, their daughter would go to other members of the Wagner family. And so this story is just beyond me. Here's how detectives kind of put together how this actually happened. So in order to get onto Chris Roden's property, Billy sets up this fake lucrative drug deal meeting with Chris Roden Sr. at his home. If you remember, part of the theory that the working theory that um, detectives had at first was that there was some sort of a drug deal gone wrong or that the Rodens were selling drugs. Like there was some evidence pointing to like having a grow farm or something like that. This actually does make sense in the story that that's what was going on. And so instead of it being this big drug deal, it ends up being an ambush. So Chris had no idea that Billy was bringing Jake and George with them. So Billy goes to Chris's home while Jake and George stay in the car. And so we know that's what happened with those first murders. We're not entirely sure how the next ones went down, but Chris was the only one alive at the time of the murders, so the working theory is that they kind of broke into the other homes, snuck in, and killed the victims while they were asleep. So they used guns with silencers so as not to wake up the victims while they were sleeping, and they also took six victims' phones as well as a recording device and trail cameras. Jake said that his mother, Angela, only helped plan the murders, and his brother, George, actually hadn't pulled the trigger on anyone. As part of a plea deal, the state agreed not to seek the death penalty against Jake or his other family members. And Jake also agreed to testify against his family at trial, which is wild to me. This whole thing is going on because of Jake's relationship, you know, his his daughter. Obviously, it's not because of his daughter, but his, his way of seeing this is, you know, that he can have custody of his daughter. And he then turns and testifies against them at trial. Yeah. Can you imagine? Oh, my gosh. So in September of 2021, he is sentenced to eight consecutive life sentences without parole. On September 10th, 2021, as part of a plea deal, Angela pled guilty to conspiracy to commit aggravated murder, several counts of aggravated burglary, and other charges. The aggravated murder charges were dismissed, ultimately, and she agreed to testify against Billy and George. They all turned on each other. So Angela was sentenced to 30 years with no early parole. George's trial is actually set to begin in just a few months in August of 2022. 
Jake told investigators that George didn't kill anyone, but a judge refused to drop the murder charges against George because no one actually knows who fired which shots. And, you know, basically said the jury can figure that out. George can still face the death penalty if Jake doesn't end up testifying truthfully. So as of February 2022, Billy's trial was said to be scheduled for October of this year, and Billy can still face the death penalty if Jake doesn't end up testifying truthfully. So basically wow. the guy who this whole thing is about, if he wow. wants to turn on you, you can get the death penalty. I mean, they're That's all crazy pieces of crap for this. Yeah. This is such a messed up story about this poor girl. And then this girl's going to have to grow up knowing what happened. It's that terrible. Is totally not her fault. Nothing she could have ever done or dreamed of or anything. But man, that is... It's so sad that that's like the reality of your two families and what happened. Yeah, that's your life story. That's, I mean, it really is, it's awful. It's terrible. Yeah. I will say there is a podcast on this, like a long form podcast I listened to probably, I don't know, a few months ago called The Piketon Massacre. And they go into a lot of details on this story. It's a hard one to follow. And I thought they did a really, really good job of um, telling the story. And I think she even went to Alaska to try to interview them. There was just a lot going on. So. Yeah, if you want more information, that's a good one to check out. Wow. All right. So those were just a few updates on some cases we've covered before. There's, of course, lots of other cases that have updates. So if you guys enjoyed hearing these updates, um, let us know, and maybe we'll do another update episode sometime later this year if it's something that you guys appreciated hearing. So yeah, I thought it was crazy. There was um, so much in these stories, like I said, so many details when we, you know, as we started revisiting these cases where I had totally just forgotten that all that had happened and that those stories were so detailed and so involved and had so much going on. So yeah, it was fun to do a few updates. Yeah, for sure. Or we'll at least do them within the next five years. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Okay, so we're going to turn the page and do a little last thing before we go. And I'm excited about this one since we are revisiting Moms and Murder Past. uh, Melissa came up with a great idea for last thing before we go. And I think some of you will be very happy with it. Melissa, what are we doing today? And some of you will turn it off immediately. I um, just pulled some facts from old Google the City things that Google I Google the City. Who yes. remembers? Who remembers? Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pepperidge Farm remembers. Yeah. So I pulled some. Turns out a lot of them were very unhinged, and I don't know how I ever got through them. I don't know how you allowed it. And some of the listeners did not. So that's why it's no longer a thing. But Mandy, <laughs> I have some random ones. I tried to pull some from times w- or places within this story, but I didn't get very far with that. So I will start off with the Tallahassee one, like the first story we had. So this singer-songwriter and mask singer-winner named blank hails from tallahassee do you know the singer songwriter and masked singer t-pain good job t-pain the t and t-pain stands for tallahassee pain i have always remembered that because you taught me that on google the city we are here to learn we are here to learn that's i'm trying to see what mandy remembers mandy this i'm gonna do that one last because it's my favorite one okay the next is This isn't super exciting, but I'm just quizzing you. What California city has a population of around 1.4 million residents, (laughs) making it the the eighth most populated city in the U.S. and second in California? So think of California cities. It's the second most populated in California. Sacramento. Oh, so close. It's the other S one. San Diego. There you go. Way to go. See? Okay, Mandy, next. The Icelandic language does not have what letter in its alphabet? 
Oh, wait. I know you can do it. No, it's actually in the word Iceland. I? L? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to spell Iceland in a minute. Do it. it? Do it. And I'll tell you when to stop. (laughs) Is it C? There you go. It's C. And so they actually refer to their country as Icelandia with an S. I-S. Oh. Yeah. And it's the same country where your last name has like if you're the daughter of somebody, it's something daughter, D-O-T-T-E-R, yes, or son. Yes. I have definitely kept that one in my head. So whenever I see, like we've had a few listeners from Iceland, and I'm like, yes, I know who you're named after. Yeah. It's exciting. I love that. Me too. Okay, I've got two more. So back in 1901, a man named Carl Schnebly moves to a town in Arizona. It's very small. He's tired of getting his mail, like taking forever. So he applies for a postal permit. He submits the names Oak Creek Crossing and Schnevely Station. Both are too long to go on these cancellation stamps. So he submits another one. He submits his wife's name. What was his wife's name? It's a town in Arizona. I do not remember. Yeah. Okay. I mean, what are we even doing here if you're not retaining all of the facts from Google the City <laughs> over the past five years? <laughs> oh, yeah. And my favorite was I said it's a good thing it wasn't Carl, Arizona, because and that was his name, because here were my jokes about that. If it was Carl, Arizona, the mottos would be, if it's good enough for Sedona, it's good enough for you. And then <laughs> Carl, Arizona, when you're here, your family, because it's literally just <laughs> me and Sedona. <laughs> and Carl, Arizona, Sedona, please come back. We have a post office now. <laughs> and my final one I is- I Google the- this city. <laughs> my final one is the one, no doubt we've received more emails about in the past five years than anything we've ever done, including when, whenevers. Ready? Mandy. I already know what this is about. I already know what this is. I already know what this is. (laughs) Mandy, what is the only university in the nation to actually have a live tiger as the mascot? Not live animal. Lots of them have live animals. Live tiger. Yes. The only live tiger is at LSU. And many other universities have live animal mascots. So many do. So many do. (laughs) Thank you for writing to us and letting us know that we misspoke and said that LSU had the only live animal mascot. That was never what we meant. We always meant live tiger. We said live animal. And we still to this day get emails telling us so-and-so has a live blah, 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 blah. And we're like, that's how I found this. I (laughs) I looked in my email or in our email for the word tiger and it just was, you know, populating. Like we did a whole like, it's like three million emails with the word tiger. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was fun. You retained a lot of crap that there was no reason for me to share. So yay. I love that. I love that. I totally miss We Googled This City and apparently a lot of people do, Melissa. We might have to just... One day. I will bring it back for the fifth anniversary. I will make that promise. Ooh, for the fifth anniversary, I'm not. That's coming up soon. That. I will not let you forget. I need to. We need to find an episode with a really interesting place for you to Google this city. Absolutely, but I don't even think the jokes have to be good because, from what I was reading, they were not all great. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you guys have that to look forward to in the coming weeks. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> all right. Well, that was our episode for this week. We will be back next week, same time, same place. New story. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. 
Thanks so much.